This is Seth Franz Franzoli from the Distro One Podcast, and I only get my comic book news and reviews from one place, Comic Book Pit. Oh my! Well, thank you for that, Seth Franzoli. That's right, folks. This is the Comic Book Pit, episode number 217. This is the interviews episode from uh, Wizard World that happened this past weekend here in Pittsburgh. If you listened to the last episode, you heard me... Uh, the Dang and the Duke discuss it. But here, though, you hear the interviews that we did. Uh, first up is legend of the industry, uh, Mr. Neil Adams. We talked about this a bit on the last show, but the way this went down, um, I got to the show on Friday and went up to Mr. Adams' first thing to see if I could get an interview with him for the show. Uh, he declined respectfully, um, said that he wanted to work the show. He was there for the fans. Uh, didn't want to do anything during it, but did... Uh, allow me to come back when the show closed to have a few words with him and he did not disappoint Mr. Adams is crazy, crazy in a good way the good kind of crazy, the crazy you want uh, I was hoping for a little more jovial Neil Adams, I thought maybe a little more folksy Neil Adams I got a rather, uh, as you hear blunt and matter of fact Neil Adams now there is a moment here in the interview where Mr. Adams received a color proof, evidently he's doing an upcoming cover for Iron Man from Marvel Comics. A spoiler alert, exclusive, what have you. During the interview, he gets emailed a cover, a color proof of the cover, and um, was not, not a fan of it. And he proceeds to have a conversation with uh, who I can only imagine is a Marvel editor during this, and so when you hear him uh, yelling at someone before turning back to me, that's what's going on there. I can't say I blame him. I did sneak a peek at the cover. I do see what set him off, but... Um, Again, neither here nor there. Keep an eye out for that. I'll probably be on the stands here in a few months. But right now, uh, without further ado, the legend himself, Mr. Neil Adams. And walk around me and say that. Let me do this. Yes, sir. Okay. All right. Well, sir, again, thank you very much for making the time. I do appreciate that. And uh, what I was hoping to ask about, get your opinion of, Given your history working with these characters, characters that have been around for a considerable amount of time. I mean, when you started working on them, they were established characters. Since the pigs ate my sister. It was a long pigs. time ago. And uh, they're as strong as ever. They don't show any sign of slowing oh, down. Oh, they show, si- show signs of, of weakening and being changed by people who think they, think they know how to do them better. So you get a lot of change going on. I don't know if it's to the good. Uh, I, I, in fact, I, I would prefer a little piece of advice uh, that I might give to some of the creators involved. If you really want to do something new, why don't you create a new character and stop messing with the characters that we know and love? You know, we really don't want to see the characters change. We like to see people come up with new characters. If all you can do to contribute to the work that you do is to take a character and change it and make it into something else... Isn't that a very low rung on the ladder? And shouldn't you be aiming just a little bit higher and and making characters of your own, presenting to the companies or selling them to the companies or perhaps even owning them and doing them yourself? I think that's a better way to go now. Why? I don't know which is the better way. I just say that it, I think on a creative level, it's better not to take the work that was done by other people for a long, long time. They put their heart and soul into it and say, well, you know what, we'll just dismiss what you've done and we'll just change it. I think that's disrespectful. It doesn't make any sense. We're Batman is Batman, Superman is Superman, all those good characters. You notice that in the movies, 
uh, Marvel seems to be keeping their characters pretty much the same. And, you know, generations later, they're suddenly going, well, Spider-Man really should be a teenager, you know, and he's better that way. So we don't want him to get older and to, and to get married and have kids. There's, a, right. there's a, something about the idea of, of, of if you're, if you're going to have a licensed character and you're going to create something and you invest time and money into it, why are you changing it? I understand. Do you, you, you were of age. When, when uh, DC did their change, you may be too young to remember the reaction. Was there kind of that same... What change? The, like, when they, the, gold, the Silver Age Flash, Al Jordan as the Green Lantern, those old Golden Age characters where they introduced them as new alter egos. Were there people that felt like a... It seemed like an uproar to it. Was there people that said, yeah, that's not oh, the this Flash. this is the uproar. Uh, Congress attacked comic books in 1953 and uh, convinced people that uh, they shouldn't let their children read comic books or else they become juvenile delinquents. Marilyn! Hello. Hello. Hold on. There's more that, not as opposed to no, no, nobody, Jay Garrick's nobody the Flash. Gave a damn. Nobody gave, no one cared. No, nobody cared because America had turned against comic books. All the parents in America told their kids not to read comic books and forbid them to read comic books. And Teachers the, didn't let them uh, read comic books. Nobody did. The people that read them growing up, they had moved on and they didn't. They weren't reading them anymore. So who cares who was? Well, they didn't the name. care. They were. They were. They were now adults and had kids. And so they grew up. Yeah. It, it was revealed to them that uh, comic books like uh, rock and roll made juvenile. Delinquents. Isn't that right. true? I think it's true. Absolutely Computer true. games yeah. and all the rest of it. Everything. Yeah, video games. All what a that. stupid generation. <laughs> what a stupid generation. Does every generation grow up and get older and get stupid? Apparently. I, I think apparently so. Apparently they do. I, th- I, mean, I read an article, not an article, but some writing about uh, how the generations uh, had changed and how the children and the young people were awful and they walked through the streets and knocked people down, knocked old, older people down. Turns out it was an article written in Egypt 2,000 years yes. ago. <laughs> I was thinking of the same thing. What a joke. I read that too. I was like, man, nothing as much as... I just, I hate, I hate the concept that I'm growing older and I may be that kind of stupid. I'm hoping that that never happens to me. Well, you're aware. I, <laughs> I would like to believe. <laughs> but as far as, so we, we've covered how creators are making a mess of it and I don't disagree with you. And I, I do think ownership, in this day and age, why... Why make something and sell it to a corporation? Why not just have ownership? Yeah, that's okay to say. But, yeah, but if you don't have the ability do. and you're yeah. not in a position to do that, you can't do it. And nobody will give you the creds to go ahead and do it. And you found it. I, I know that all too very well. Bad, very bad. Uh, you, let me talk to Chris. I'm sorry. Yes, sir. Carolyn, take care of your voice. Hey, hi, hi, hi. Yeah, I don't want that head split like that. Do not split the head. It's got a big, heavy, big, heavy shadow. Get rid of it. I want 20% max. 20% max. And I don't know why it's not on the yellow on the face. I just want a flat color of it. And I want my highlights on the top. I don't see any of the top. I don't see the top of the And I do not see plasma. I do not see plasma. I want it right in the middle. Write it down. White in the middle. White. I'm not holding on, Chris. I'm not holding on. I'm doing an interview. All right. Well, thank you again. Um, so now we've discovered the creators. As far as the fans and their affinity for 
any idea what resonates with them? Why 75 years on, something like Batman still as popular as ever, and what it speaks to? It's a good to? character. Is Sherlock Holmes a popular character? Is uh, Tarzan? Well, you know, Tarzan. not quite. As, not quite the I same don't level. Know, not the same kind of thing. I'm just saying that that uh, if it's a good character, it's a good character. It's a good character. Uh, we everybody sort of agrees on that. And maybe at some point it won't be a good character. I mean, Tarzan has outlived his usefulness to a certain extent, but we still keep trying to save it because we like the idea. So there's a, maybe there's another way to do it. I don't know. I don't know. But really, if it's a good character, it really works. Sherlock Holmes will never change. Right. Uh, they still know, make Sherlock Holmes movies, so... Yeah, I mean, it's a great character. Batman's okay. a great character. Uh, Superman's a great character. Maybe he'll change a little bit, because you know what? He's an alien, and he has three penises. Oh, I just worry about that. You know, there is something to worry about on that. I wonder. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. You know. Well, Mr. Adams, I won't take any more of your right. time. Pleasure. I appreciate Pleasure. it very much. All Thank right. you, sir. Thank you so much. And there you have it. Tell you what, once someone mentions Superman's three penises, get out. Nothing better is going to happen after that. That's the cue to leave. Uh, Neil Adams, folks, he did not disappoint one bit. Next up, I spoke with John and the Duke, as well as Seth Franzoli and Barry Link, just to get their feel on how the room was. All right, fellas, as it's winding down here, wink. I'd like to get your uh, your thoughts on how you felt the uh, the inaugural Wizard World Pittsburgh convention treated you, Mr. Atkins. Not enough cocaine or hookers. Uh, food was good, and I'm looking at Dean Kane right now. Yes, and the view of Dean Kane is magnificent like a bald eagle on a shrine of ice cream and hot dogs. That was about on par with my Neil Adams interview. (laughs) Mr. Franzoli? Well, it was a little bit slower than... It seemed like yesterday was a little bit, you know, with the the foot traffic and everything. I think a lot of the... a lot of the convention goers were here for the celebrity meet and greets and the autographs and the photos and it, it seemed for a Saturday, which should be the it should be any convention's biggest day, it seemed kind of kind of slow in my opinion. It seemed like yesterday was a little bit better, but who knows? Maybe tomorrow will pick up. So there's still one more day. We'll just we'll just see what happens. It was pretty much you know what I expected. I mean, we had a pretty strong first day. Financially, we had a strong first day. Uh, second day, not so much. But you know what? It's it's still good because I got the the one thing I take out of these shows is uh, the community that's around. You know, it's like the the Pittsburgh indie scene panel that CBP uh, uh, sponsored, not sponsored, put together, where most of it was it's about community and. It's nice, and a lot of these people I don't get to see in my everyday life, especially uh, Jared, who's holding this mic up in my face. I am. So, you know, I get a nice chance to see that. And Attention, Wizard World fans. Don't forget the show floor closes in 30 minutes, but the fun ain't over it just yet. That's right, our world-famous costume contest is going on at 7 o'clock. Upstairs at Ballroom B, if you haven't seen one of our famous costume contests, please ask to come and check it out. 
again, the show floor is closed in 30 minutes, but you can have more fun upstairs in our costume contest. Have a great day, folks. We'll see you soon. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, it's... So it's, it's pretty nice to see that tomorrow. Do I hope to end on a strong note financially? Yeah, but if not, I mean, it's kids' day. So, I mean, you'll see little kids, and that's nice. And my daughter's here right now, and she's nervous as hell. But, you know, she's always like that, around big stuff. So I assume as soon as we get home, she'll be all like, Oh, we saw this, and we saw this, and this was fun, and this, 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 and this was great. So, yeah, that's uh, that's basically it. Thanks. Well, the uh, the gala of comic book pit uh, exclusive gets continues. We've had Neil Adams, I've had Sean Atkins, and now artist extraordinaire Scott the Duke Headland. Sir, thank you for being on the comic book pit. <laughs> it's always an honor. So, how's the uh, how's the show been treating you so far? Uh, it's been it's been fun. A lot of people, a lot of happy people coming by, checking out my artwork. A lot of spending people coming by. Well, not a lot of spending people. Yeah, that's that's what I was uh, talking to uh, Mr. Atkins about. Yeah. Uh, what's your uh, take on the room? My take is that uh, the majority are here for celebrities. Um, however, a lot of people are still, you know, milling around and checking things out or, and seem to be genuinely interested in uh, the variety of artwork, but not necessarily monetarily interested. Ah. So, you know, but, you know, you got to, it's a new crowd, too. You got a new audience. Um, is it new? It's, there are some, there actually are some new faces. I've, actually, people I know that I have not seen at other shows that are here. Which I thought was very cool. That's very telling. Yeah. So this is this is not a continuation of what once was. This is a new beginning. I actually had a friend of mine who does go to the other shows, and he said he he said as a as a consumer and a, a visitor, you know, like a fan, he likes this setup. He likes the environment. He thinks it's very nice and welcoming. So yeah, um, I think there's a lot of mixed reviews. But, uh, so I know we're in the middle of it. We're in the middle of it. This is like the midway point of the weekend. Right. So I'm just curious what the what the take is at this point in time. <laughs> at this point in time? Well, I'm getting a lot of I'm getting a lot of sketch cards done. <laughs> is that is that what they want? The like on demand art? Yeah, I think so. I actually just from talking to other uh, artists here that there were a lot of people who had sketch sketch commi- commissions. So cards, art, you know, just in their drawing books and comic covers. Um, but that seems to be the main attraction for Artist Alley is original art. So. Very cool. Well, Scott Headland, thank you for being on the comic book pit. I look forward to talking to you again in the future. <laughs> All right. Comic book pit's uh, exclusives continue. This time we have uh, Barry Link with us. Barry, how does the uh, show treating you so far? So far, so good. A little, it was busier yesterday than you know on a Friday than today, but been pretty good. Are they? Um, I was talking to Scott. I was talking to Sean. I was trying to get their opinion on what. How do you read the room? What are the people here looking for? I think most of the people here are looking for the celebrities behind us. Okay. You know, uh, yesterday I didn't, barely sold any comic books. I did a couple of uh, commissions, sketch cards, that kind of stuff. Today I've sold mostly books. 
Really? Yeah. Books. That's surprisingly because a lot of times people don't want to buy books. So. I was, Scott was getting the impression we're hearing that like art on demand might have been what the uh, was getting people now. Yeah, well, that was the case yesterday, but today I haven't done any commissions yet. So, you that's know, all books today. All books that's today. Cool. Hey, so bro, that's cool. I'll take part. what I can get at this point. I don't blame you there. Well, all right, well, thanks, Barry. Got it, man. And there you go. How we managed to get those interviews, I still don't know. We just got lucky, I guess. And finally, we have Lou Ferrigno and James Marsters. Interesting story behind this one. This was recorded Thursday night at the press reception, which was put on for uh, everyone with a press pass. When we got the email about this, they let us know that Lou Ferrigno and James Marsters would be available to talk, and if we wanted an interview, to just let them know and they'd make it happen. I definitely wanted to talk to Lou Ferrigno. I was a big fan of the Incredible Hulk growing up, and getting the opportunity to talk to him was something I couldn't pass up. Now, nothing against James Marsters, but I'm not all that familiar with his work. You know, I've only seen a handful of episodes of Buffy, and I couldn't really think of anything that I wanted to talk to him about. So when I replied to the email... I just asked about, you know, getting an interview with Lou Ferrigno. And when we got there, the guy from Wizard escorted us over to the table uh, where Lou Ferrigno was sitting. We sit down, we start the interview, and that's when James Marsters arrives and sits down too. So I wasn't prepared to interview the guy. I had nothing ready for him, but it's not like I could be all like, sorry, Spike, I didn't ask for you. So I improvised, and it turned out to be what I think is the best interview of the entire weekend. You know, it's funny, there's a point in the conversation where James Marsters talks about happy accidents that happen in art. Well... There are happy accidents that happen in podcasts, too, and this is one of them. Now, just a quick heads up. This was recorded in the middle of a crowded restaurant, so the audio may seem a bit dicey, but trust me, it's all there. So without further ado, Lou Ferrigno, James Marsters. I'm actually the second generation of my family to meet you. My Thank father you. got a poster signed by you back in the late 70s with a bodybuilding enthusiast. Yeah, they're so. going at it for 40 years. Yeah? Well, thanks again for... Um, hey. <laughs> oh, it's fabulous. Boring. Wonderful. <laughs> How did you drink it? Uh, in Dallas. You too. Yeah. Yeah. Hello. Hey, how are you doing? James. Scott. Scott. Dan, pleasure to meet you. Jared. Jared. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Ah, so, uh, you just got into it? So. Just minutes ago. All right, so I'm going to ask you how you think of Pittsburgh, but I don't think you I love Pittsburgh. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, very beautiful from the air, very beautiful from the ground. Yeah. Uh, gorgeous town. Uh, I, I almost want to say it reminds me of Chicago, but that may not be taken yeah, in the best way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I lived in Chicago for six years. Oh, all right. Okay. So uh, I hate to tell you, but I'm a Bears fan. It's It's a definite sports town. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I, mean, I just, I don't know. I, I, I'm sitting in the sports bar. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah. That I've been all over the world and I've seen almost nothing of it because I'm usually traveling for work. And I, I realized uh, early on that if I went and enjoyed each place that I was in, I was not going to be showing up to work so well. Because work, for me, work is like it can be a 12, 14, 16 hour day. Yeah. Work, convention, that's eight hours of really a lot of energy for fans and stuff. You know yeah, that. I know how about it. Yeah. 
And uh, uh, so I, I, I always say, when someone says, do you like, you know, do you like Pittsburgh? Do you like Cleveland? I say, if there's Wi-Fi, if the bed is soft, if the yeah. chicken wings are crispy, and if there's a tub, that's awesome. But frankly, you guys don't have a problem with water. You guys have enough water? No. Yeah, we got, we got, we got water. Yeah. Drought. No, no. Uh, now I can take yeah. a bath. I love yeah. Pittsburgh. Right. I love Pittsburgh. I can't yeah, but we're surrounded by it. Yeah. Yeah. There's no. There's no. Uh, there's no water in California. That's what I heard. Yeah. Uh, around here just right. falls from the sky. Yeah. I was saying. Yeah. yeah. Just missed a big storm today. So. Lucky. Yeah. yeah. More than we know what to do with. <laughs> well, I'll be lying. I'll be lying here. It's rough. You guys have questions? Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you, you know, with the Incredible Hulk. Um, if you were back when you took the role, if you could have imagined it being the phenomenon still all these years later, did you ever anticipate it? Well, when I did the pilot, I shot two pilots for the, for the Hulk, and I was hoping back then they said that if it, if it goes at the time beta, like VHS, if anything happened, because I was hoping to get picked up with the series. But then when it hit the two, then it became a project went up for five years. But I had, I had no idea how far the superhero would go, because you got to remember, the Hulk, if you mention superhero, it's always like death on TV. But the Hulk was the biggest franchise, the first one was successful, attracted groundwork for the other superhero. But at the time when you saw the Hulk on TV, people had to get adjusted to it because even though more than makeup, they understand the superhero. Yeah. Well, the only people that knew about superhero were the comic book reader. But now when you have all these films, educate everybody in the, in the world knows superhero. But superhero is now dominated the box office, and you have all kinds of science fiction programs. Great. And then, um, were you familiar with the Hulk when you took the role? Did you know what it was? Yeah, I used to be a lot of comic books. I was like a real life Hulk in many. Because in my life, I had to overcome adversity. I was holding my whole life. I used to be Superman, Hulk, comic, because I was obsessed with power. So, here's some on the show. We always talk about like the movies, and they talk about the Hulk and how it's like difficult to make like a successful Hulk movie. And I, my contention is, and I'd like to get your thoughts on this: in the comics, the Hulk is an actual character who can speak and displays emotion. Whereas in the movies, even when you play him, he was more or less he never got the chance to verbalize. Did you ever want that opportunity to sort of make the Hulk a character? Or did you I ever? I really wanted the Hulk to speak, but they wanted to keep that guy the way what they wanted the Hulk to do anything like major jumping. Like the yeah. spaceship, they wanted to keep it all that simple. At the time, they used, uh, you remember Ted Cassidy on the rest of the Adam family? Yeah. They used his voice. They wanted like more of like a lion's voice. But of course, as I got older, my voice got deeper. But I know how the whole thing to feel, so I ended up doing the voice for the whole. But it's interesting because the match size, you gotta remember that was back in the 70s. It's a different way of thinking. Yeah, and it's always, it always kills me now. Like, I watch, like, these Hulk movies. And if they would let the Hulk be that character, there's so much, like, great drama there that's not being captured just because of that whole treating him like an effect. But, yeah, it's right. never that's something. You know. Uh, now, as I understand it, you're still um, active as far as like doing voices for the Hulk. Yeah, I did the voice for the The Avengers, okay. all, all the films, the last two Hulk movies, and The Avengers. Okay. But it's funny when you do the voice; it's so different because they don't give you a script, right. and you have to improvise. Okay. If they'll tell me the idea what the other characters are doing, I have to improvise. It's very hard because after two hours, you have that movie voice. I should, I like them doing that because it's a connection. People connect. With, with me with the Hulk right. a post like the TV series okay that's great 
Sorry, I put through them on the spot yeah, here. I was going to say everything. Yeah. Uh, I'm interested more in like what what you're working on now. Like what kind of? I studied uh, the British film for instance. Yeah, because about a guy in the special forces. He uh, gets his revenge because he's harmed his family. So it's probably the best acting I've done. Probably uh, fighting, probably emotion, and it's something I've always wanted to do. But I got permission to shoot in England at the British film. Excited about that coming out. Oh, very nice. So that's this summer. Yeah, that's it's, kind of it's, like, it's like those movies like Death Wish, like yeah. Taken, like oh, uh, yeah. like Rolling Thunder. Oh, very nice. Yeah, I, I enjoy the acting. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, now, now you've obviously you've, you've you've done some comedic stuff too with King of Queens, Seven and um, you were in the I Love You Man. Right. Yeah, Any interest in doing more of that? Oh yes, yeah, definitely. Because you know, you, you, you really easy because you perform in front of a live audience, like, yeah. like that kind of pressure, mm-hmm. and so it's, it kind of fell into it. Okay. Are you doing Morax too? Do what? Morax too. I thought I heard. No? Okay. Just, I, I heard wrong. And I think you would know before I would know. So. Yeah. 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 I guess you're here. I didn't know you would be with us. Yeah, you were coming over to sit down. So sorry, sorry. Yeah. No, it's fine, though. Um... I guess I'll ask you the same line of questioning. Yeah. Did you ever imagine, like, because you're not, you get a role, you probably don't know how much longer you're going to be doing it, and then it blows up to now. Yeah. <laughs> did, did you ever anticipate it becoming that, or um, when I when I got cast, I was I was told that I was either going to die after five episodes or ten episodes, oh, wow. and I was so poor, I was just doing everything I could so that it would be ten episodes that I would die. Oh wow. I was originally uh, Drusilla's boy toy, who would be Angel's first victim after he went evil after having sex with Buffy. So the whole deal was, how do we make life difficult for Buffy? So she and Angel finally hook up. Angel goes evil, breaks her heart, kills me off, and takes up with Drusilla. and they, they only made me look really cool on the show in the beginning because I was if Angel kills the real badass, then he's the badass. So he, they, they, they build me up, you know, just to do that. Yeah. And then they didn't kill me, you know. So and that was kept, now, and you got your own show, and then comic books. And yeah, it blew up. But I, I have to say, I was, uh, after, after I didn't die and I got integrated into the show and was running for a while, I, I, I was, I was the, the, the actor in the cast that was saying, guys, this writing is phenomenally good. And if we can match our performance to the quality of the writing, this could last. We could be the new Star Trek. And like, I'm, I'm a Trekkie from way back. Okay. I had Spock up on my wall. And I used to say, we're, we could, we can be the new Star Trek. And if we're the new Star Trek, I'm the new Spock. I, I claim Spock. Spock, Spike, 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 the same character. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and I that's one of the things that I'm proud of is that I was one of the first people to stand up in interviews and say that Joss Whedon was a genius I didn't really want to talk about my character as much as I wanted to talk about the writing on the show in general yeah uh, uh, yeah so I I kind of had a hint of it that it was possible okay. um 
I, I thought I, we were hearing that uh, people were missing the jokes on the show because they were laughing at the previous joke, and I thought, okay, this is really good. They're gonna they're gonna go back and watch it again, and I thought, okay, if we can make the characters people that you want to hang out with, just on the acting side, they're gonna want to just revisit that world because I knew what it was like to be a Star Trek fan and just want to go back to that world. And I've seen the original series. I've seen every episode. I'll see you. I've seen every episode like you know, 15, 20 times, and I just would keep coming back because I wanted to be on board the Starship Enterprise, exploring the universe and the world of the galaxy. And and I thought, okay, if we can if we can do that, have that same kind of effect, people will just uh, want to come back. Um, I used to produce theater, and I would always tell people something something delightful has to happen at a certain pace in a story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to learn something interesting, or an actor has to do something. It could be a little expression. Uh, something delightful has to be revealed, and if, if it can happen, you know, if it happens every ten seconds, it's pretty damn good. Right. If it happens every five, you're getting really good. If you can be delightful... Uh, or, or terrifying or whatever it is that makes the audience kind of pop up if you can get that below five seconds you've got something that will last yeah. is that exhausting as a performer or is it exhilarating to try and hit both. that both both okay. yeah. so I guess when it works it's exhilarating and when it's not yeah then it's a that's a really good question because I that's my memory of Buffy is between the words cut and action being so tired yeah. like okay. I was a dirty character like I was my character hung around in the weeds anyway, so I would lay down. As soon as they said cut, I would just go lay down anywhere on the set, in the dirt, on the floor, and just close my eyes because I was so tired. We worked 12, 14, 16, sometimes 20 hours a day. Wow. Yeah. Uh, we were known as Buffy the Weekend Slayer. <laughs> and there were people that would not work on the show because they didn't want to get toasted like that. Yeah. And especially crew members. They're like, no way. Yeah. Um, but then, between the words action and cut, all of that went away because now you're now you've got Joss and company's language, and they've got all those wonderful lines that you can lose yourself in. And frankly, the props department is on the A game, the stunt department is on the A game, the lighting is on the A. Every everybody was bringing it, and so there's just this wonderful little pocket of magic that only lasts like 30 seconds to two minutes, and then they say that horrible word cut. And then you, you, you realize, oh, I'm so tired. Yeah, yeah. I love the word action. That's a magic word. Um, it's, it means it means everyone else has to shut up, and I get to have my fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I imagine. I mean, you were you were talking. You mentioned you know the character of Spike was dirty, kind of down and dirty. I imagine that was extremely extremely fun character to play because you got to straddle the fence, being you know first bad and good and bad and. You know, that just you know, just to play that character on Buffy and then Angel must have just been yeah, just a hell of a lot of fun. It, it was a, it was kind of an accident because um, I just want the mic to speak. Uh, Spike had a really interesting ride, you know, um, but like so many things in art, the, the, the most interesting things happen as a happy accident. Uh, sometimes the things that artists plan 
are good, but not as good as when they surprise themselves. And the thing was, uh, Spike was his arc throughout the show was not a plan. Joss would come to me almost every season and say, "I have no idea what to do with your character. <laughs> I know what the I know what the basic arc for the season is. I know how all the characters fit into that. Uh, I don't know what you're doing at all." And I would always say, "Well, you, you'll figure it out. You know, as long as you're paying me." Is, um, so they, they, they kind of stuck me in as needed. So I was the badass, then I was the wacky neighbor, then I was the terrible boyfriend, and then I was the guinea pig hero, and then I was the jerk friend from out of town on Angel that that, that, that just won't leave your apartment, <laughs> no matter how much you're, you're hinting to it. So, um, uh, all, because the writers are so, were so good on that show, it all stitched together into one character. But it veered around in a lot of unexpected ways, and uh, I, I got the credit for all that. When really I was just trying to memorize my lines and stuff. Yeah, I, was asking, I mean, the writing builds it up, but you're the one that has to send it home. Was it? I, I don't want to word this. Was it a fun challenge to take the character and you have this character that you've been playing now? You have to take this character that you've grown into and you get a chance to grow him as a performer. Was it fun to be able to now he becomes this, he becomes that? And how does, yeah, how do I do this? It was, I was do. I was, I was on a, a, a long term rebellion against Joss's theme and I never told him this at the time and he'd probably be really mad at me now. Uh, I, I was really poor when I came down to Los Angeles. I was a theater actor, and uh, I was happy being poor. I was—I thought it liberated me as, a, as an artist. I don't need to make a lot of money and do what I want. Uh, but then I had a son, and then you need to make some money, Dad. So I came down, uh, needed to make money, and then I—I got—you know—I I, I got a little toehold in this show, and Joss explained to me. Um, you know, vampires on this show are, are not meant to be likable. You're not meant to be sexy. I specifically make you ugly when you bite someone so it's not sensual. Vampires are a metaphor for everything that a teenager has to overcome in order not to give up on themselves in the world. So, don't give me that Anne Rice stuff. I'm not interested in that. You are bad. You have no soul. You have no feeling for anyone. Ching. Now, I'm thinking... What, what what I think the audience responds to is when I can find the love in a character, uh, whether that's love denied, love frustrated, love that blossoms or what, whatever, that's where the meat is, that's where the fuel is, that's where the connection is with the audience. And I didn't tell him, but I was like, no soul? You know, <laughs> screw that. Uh, where's the love in this guy? And I thought, well, it's obvious, it's the girlfriend. So I'll play this 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 character that really enjoys ripping people's throats out, have a lot of fun with that, and then just show as much love as I possibly can for that character. And way more than was really written. Okay. And uh, and that continued throughout the show. I was just trying not to get killed off. Yeah. Right. I was trying to get the audience to be in my corner enough right. that 
Joss would 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 not decide to deny me a paycheck. I mean, it was yeah. really about feeding a little boy. And uh, I don't know if you guys have ever been really really poor, but when you're really really poor and you're just really looking for the next pack of diapers, you'll do anything. Include include <laughs> like do your best to undercut a really good theme of a really good show. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I when when the character got a soul, I was panicked because I had no I had nothing to bring to the table. I was like I've been playing him with a soul the whole time. I don't know what to do now. Yeah. Um, but uh, Josh said in an interview that the the show kind of taught him that there are grays, that even evil characters have have another side, and he was willing to kind of explore that. And to his credit, he didn't kill me off. I mean, like a lot of really good writers and producers would have said, look, I, I don't care how how uh, people are enjoying this. My theme is my theme, and this guy's out. Uh, and, and that is very defensible. But Joss is a very courageous artist, and he decided to play with that fire and make it work. Was it encouraging then, as a creative person, to work in such a uh, welcome environment for that? Obviously, they were open to letting that happen, keeping your... I don't know if it's open. Joss backed me up against the wall once and said, I don't care how popular you are. You are dead, you are dead, you are dead. You know, so, so it wasn't that open. It was, I mean, like, we all, we, we liked each other as people, but I think it was a challenge for him to, to yeah. deal with the character. Okay. I mean, that, that was in the early times. By the end, we were good friends, and he was enjoying exploring the character and the other writers and everything like that. Uh, yes, it was gold. Uh, it was absolutely some of the best times I've ever had. Uh, those those writers, they're all off doing the biggest shows that I love. I mean, like, yeah. uh, two of them are doing Daredevil. Steve Denight and Drew are doing Daredevil. Yeah. Uh, David Fury, God knows what he's doing. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yes, please. stay with your wife. Um, so, uh, yeah, this is my wife. <laughs> this is why it's hard to... Oh, come on, man. I can't show you my wife. Okay. Um, she's gorgeous. Anyway. Uh, um, uh, so... Like David Fury, he helped create 24 and Lost. Oh, Jane Espenson has worked on everything. Marty Noxon, you know, she's doing Unreal now. But Joss had them all when they were young and hungry and cheap and all in the same room. Like, they're they're out on their own now, kicking butt. But when you get all of that talent in the same room, it just starts to sizzle. And... Um, and I was the beneficiary of all of that creativity and it was my opinion that if I could just get what's on the page onto the dailies that's what I'm there for yeah uh and it wasn't easy. I always thought that we missed something. There's always some little bit, some little nice little description of action that we didn't quite get. And I always felt that the show played better on the page than it did on the screen. And you should read a script sometime. You'll know to be like, wow, that actually is a little bit better. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. We, on the comic book pit, we're, we're a comic book review discussion show. We also make them in our own right. So we, is it like, for an actor, is it sort of what's like for us where no matter what effort you give, 
of you always feel it's not enough? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, uh, you're, yeah. Just, you're, you're, you're never finished. Yeah. Like, well, you go back and look at it and see where you could have maybe did something a little different. Maybe. Yeah. It's, da- it's, I don't know, man. Being a, being a theater actor, you, 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 uh, you, you get that burned out of you because after, after a performance is done that night, it's gone. You're in the moment. And the next, yeah, and the next day is a whole new day and a whole new audience and a whole new conversation with them and it's a different one every time and I used to think about the you know they have the Buddhist monks who will carve in sand and it blows away in 24 hours yeah, yeah. they'll spend all day and, and a lot of people said like, how could they do that I'm like I, I understand that I do that I, that's what theater is um, and so uh I think, especially when you're filming, you've got to let go of that uh, because they're, you're on to the next shot, and you've just got you've, you've, you've got to concentrate on the right. new uh, right. challenge ahead of you. But yeah, I mean, I think that that is that's the artist's um, uh, mindset. Absolutely. Uh, and I think that if we didn't have that mindset, we wouldn't put so much energy and uh, put so much energy. Right and focus into what we create. And that's why art rocks is because there's someone willing to put more, let's say man hours, more work hours yeah. into a small creation than most people would generally bother to do. Right. And so it kind of sparkles and resonates. Uh, and there's just always, and people are always surprised how much work goes into any piece of art. They're always like, what? Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. no matter what it is, like you do, like they can't believe it. Yeah, yeah. Have a friend look at a drawing that took you that long to do that. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it does. yeah, I care that much. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for your time. We'll close out. Just, what are you working on now? Anything you want to? Sure. Uh, I I just wrote a comic book uh, yeah. oh, for awesome. Spike. It's the uh, uh, it's called Into the Light. Um, uh, it's available on Dark Horse. And Joss was considering using this story, the story that I, that I had in mind for a TV movie. He said it was cheap. And he was thinking about it. And I said, yeah. Uh, I, I, wanted to, I wanted to write a story under the same constraints that we shot the show. Okay. A lot of the comic books are getting so large in, Buff, in the Buffy universe. Right. Because you can do anything, they're doing right. everything. Right. And I thought it would be interesting to go back and focus and do a story as if we're shooting it on the sets that we had. Mm-hmm. And kind of contain it again. And um, I, have, I have Spike homeless and starving to death because he's got a soul and he can't kill anyone for food and he can't he can't rob anyone for new shoes and he's not going to get a job so he's he's really in trouble he's starving to death and uh, the whole idea is like what happens to, to Spike when he's got a soul but he doesn't know what to do with it yet and how do you, how do you have that character make a small step toward redemption and not be angel and then and go a different way fantastic to that sir so thank you that, very oh, much oh no I'm still, I'm still plugging man I'm still Oh, you took big plug. iTunes on September 19th. Ghost the Robot, my band, drops the, uh, our next album, okay. our third and best album. Um, the, the guy who mixes uh, Lana Del Rey's albums worked with us on right this. On. Uh, who mastered the album, mastered this album, and he put a, gl- a glean on it. Uh, the album goes back to the the initial uh, hard charging energy that we had on our first album, but we've learned a lot about. Um, production 
And so it's a lot. It's, it's slick, but it's also furious. Cool. So it's really good. Uh, and then I'm waiting to see if a uh, HBO pilot gets picked up uh, that um, uh, Genji Cohen wrote and produced. She, she re- writes and produces Orange is the New Black. She did oh, right on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, uh, uh, so I'm waiting on that. Um, what else? Going to a premiere of Dragon Warriors, which is a movie that I filmed years ago, but it's all it was all in green screen, and they had to create an entire world, medieval world of dragons and everything. It looks fabulous. I, I play a, um, a wizard who gets his heart broken and trains a dragon to light on fire anyone that falls in love in the kingdom. And I'm the villain, obviously, but I'm also adorable. Of course. And I've seen it, and I, I actually like my performance a lot. Uh, I just did a puppet movie. I did the, 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 the main character, um, uh, a really grotesque movie that when I read the script I was disgusted, uh, but then I got to the end of it and it, the end of it actually has meaning. It's actually like, it means something and it's all going to be done with puppets like um, uh, Team America. Okay. So people getting like, oh, feeding awesome. bodies into a grinder, yeah. blood spattering, yes. brain all over you, but it's going to be puppets, so it's going to be really weird and cool. Uh, and that's all I can think of right now. So Fair enough. Right. Awesome. Look forward to it. Thank yeah, you so much. Yeah, Thanks again for everything. Awesome. Appreciate it. Thank you. It's good to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Yeah, thank, you. thank you very much. Thanks for the Thank you. What can I get you? Ice Good stuff, right? Look, I had a total blast covering the Wizard World Pittsburgh show. It was a lot of fun. I hope to get the opportunity to do it again next year for sure. Uh, just a quick thanks to Jerry Milani from Wizard for doing what he did to make all of this happen and for putting up with all my dopey emails, requests, and interviews with guests that I knew were never going to happen, namely Bill Shatner, David Duchovny. Hey, I had to try, you know? Uh, so this has been Comic Book Pit number 217. I am Jared. Till next time, see you.